times the battle takes place between your ears. Winning the war of your mind. Very excited about starting this series next week. Uh, welcome to those who are joining us online. Uh, we, we're always glad for this opportunity that because of maybe the inclement weather today that you're joining us. We just want to thank you. We thank you for all of you who are out today. And uh, today we finish up our series on Elisha. And I, I know that sometimes uh, we have not been doing this, but could you stand for the reading of God's Word? From 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 1 and verse 2. Hear the word of the Lord. Elijah said, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, the Bengals will be declared the championship Super Bowl champions. No. About this time tomorrow, a sila of flour will sell for a shekel and two silas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now that's a ridiculous prediction. The officer of whose arm the king was leaning on said to the man of God, Look. Even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? Elijah says, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. You may be seated. Well, over the past six weeks, we started out taking a look at a ridiculous commitment where Elijah, there was no turning back, man. He, he was just burning his plow and slaughtering the oxen. And then the second week, we took a look at ridiculous faith of digging ditches, allowing for, for God to provide. And then we, the third week was a ridiculous provision and we were gathering jars, collecting jars. And then three weeks ago, on the fourth week, we talked about a ridiculous recovery. Now, if you remember that, we were digging out from 14 inches of snow. And in that message, I talked about how mishaps happen. And Monday, I went down on the ice. Well, last week we talked about ridiculous sight, and today we're talking about a ridiculous prediction. Think about that. Last week, I mean, yesterday we were enjoying spring, and today it's snowing. Ridiculous prediction. I, I'm really starting to sense that from here on in, all my sermons are going to be entitled, Sunny and All is Well. <laughs> On January 9th, 1969, a ridiculous 
prediction was made by Joe Namath concerning the third Super Bowl where he guaranteed a Jets win. Three days later, January 12th, at the end of Super Bowl III. And the reason why this prediction was so ridiculous is because the Baltimore Colts were favored to win that game by 19 and a half points. But at the end of the game, Super Bowl III, the Jets were victorious and won 16 to 7. And you're thinking to yourself, you just had to get that in, Pastor, didn't you? Yep. <laughs> well, to take a look at this ridiculous prediction that Elisha make, you have to go back to chapter 6, verse 24, where it says, Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, he mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. And there was great famine in that city. So all of a sudden, Ben-Hadad decides to change his tactics. Now remember uh, last week I, I talked about how Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom, Israel. And the king was Jehoram, or, or also known as Joram. He was actually 32 years old when he became king, and he, he reigned for eight years. And what's so interesting about the, the life of Joram, at the end of his life, Scripture says this, when he passed away, he passed away to no one's regret. He passed away to no one's regret. Says a lot about his life, doesn't it? Who cared that he passed away? Well, now Ben-Hadad has decided to change up strategy. Remember last week we, he was planning these sneak attacks and Israel was finding out about it because of Elisha? Now he's trying to starve out the Israelites. Let me remind you that siege is a military operation in which enemy forces surround a town, a building, cutting off its essential supplies. And listen, my friends, we have an enemy who tries to siege us. And cut off our peace, cut off our joy, cut off our faith, cut off our hope. Come on, somebody. And as King Ben-Hadad mobilized his whole army and surrounded Samaria so nothing could come in. Trying to starve them out. There was great famine in the city. How bad was the famine? It lasted so long that you could buy a donkey's head for 80 shekels of silver. Now, you got to get an understanding of 80 shekels of silver. 80 shekels of silver back then was a little bit more than a year's worth of wages. 
Not much meat on a donkey's head, is there? But I wonder what the brains taste like. And for a half a pint and a fourth of cab of sea pods for five shekels. Five shekels are equivalent to just a little over a month's worth of wage. So just a little over worth a month of wage could buy you a half pint of sea pods. Now, do you want to know what sea pods are? That's dove dung. Do I need to be more specific? So for a little over a month's worth of wages, you could buy a half pint of dove dung. How many know that the famine was severe? And how many know that the enemy wants you to get you to the point where it seems like there's no hope? The king replied, as King Joram went for a walk one day, this woman was crying out to him for help. And obviously it's, it's a very devastating time in the life of the northern kingdom. And as she was crying out, the king replies, Listen, if, if the Lord doesn't help you, where can I get help for you? The, the threshing floors from, from the wine press? You can sense the frustration, the despair in the voice of the king. And listen, it's, it's a great tactic of the enemy for him to discourage leadership. To get them frustrated. To wipe out the harvest where there's nothing on the threshing floor, where there's no grapes in the wine press, where, where it seems just totally desperate. Then he asked her, What's, what's the matter? Now, I see some little ears in here. I want to be careful. But you have your Bibles. You can read it. Let me just. The woman says that me and this other woman, because we have nothing to eat. We each have a child. Do I need to go any further? And this one lady offered up her child. And the next day, the woman was going to offer up her child. But when the next day came, Scripture says she hid the child. How desperate were these people? The king, in response, tears his robe. There's sackcloth and ashes underneath. But I want to remind you of something. It was just an outward repentance with no inward change. And isn't it just like the enemy 
to want to destroy the next generation. So here's this king who shows signs of outward repentance. But in the next verse, what does he say? He wants to behead the prophet Elijah, the man of God. So he sends a messenger ahead of him. And while Elijah was still talking to his elders, the messenger came down and said, The king said, the messenger speaking on behalf of King Joram, This disaster is is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Isn't that a good question? And I'm sure at some point in your life, if you were honest, during something taking place in your life, maybe you asked the same question. Why should I wait any longer? For goodness sakes, there's nothing to eat. They're starving us. Why should we wait any longer? Because there's always hope. I don't care how desperate the situation gets. There's always hope. Romans chapter 4 verse 18. I I love this verse. It says against all hope. Against all hope. Against all possibilities. Against all hope. Abraham in hope. Even though the situation seemed impossible. Seemed hopeless. Abraham in hope. He still believed. Why? Should we wait any longer? Well, I can think of two reasons. Number one, there's no evil siege that is stronger than the anointing power of God. And when a siege comes under the power of God, it doesn't survive. So even though you may feel like you're surrounded this morning by a circumstance, by the enemy, I want you to know that the power of God is greater than any siege the enemy forges against you. Why wait any longer? Elijah says, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Tomorrow. Aren't you glad there's always a tomorrow? Tomorrow. For for just a shekel, you'll be able to have seven quarts of flour. For, for, For one stinking shekel, you'll be buying seven quarts of flour. And for one shekel, you'll be buying 14 quarts of barley. Where right now five shekels is buying you a half a pint of dove dung. That's some prediction. What what a turnaround. But but you know what we serve? We serve a God of drastic turnarounds. From Saul to Paul, from Simon to To Peter. I don't know about you, but I'm glad 
We serve a God of the impossible who can do drastic turnarounds. For every promise, for every thus saith the Lord, for, for every prophetic word, for every dream, there's always a period of waiting. There's always a time of waiting. There is that appointed time. No one knows the day or the hour of his return, but, but God has an appointed time for his son's return. It's called a kairos. Kairos moment. An appointed time for that promise to be fulfilled, for that prophetic word to be fulfilled, for that dream to be fulfilled. But do you know what the hardest part is? Waiting. Waiting for that appointed time to see that promise fulfilled. One of the, if someone ever asked me what's your 10 favorite books, one of my top 10 favorite books would be R.T. Kendall, The Anointing. The Anointing, R.T. Kendall does this beautiful job uh, of depicting David as a little boy being anointed king. But do you know how long David had to wait before that prophetic anointing came to where he was actual king? And Saul died. And all that was in between. Well think about Joseph. Remember Joseph's dream? Told his brothers someday he's going to lord over them. But until that day. Do you know all that Joseph had to go through? Psalms talks in 105. Joseph sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shekels. His neck was put in an irons. Till what? He foretold came to pass till the word of the Lord proved him true. And as time went on, he was appointed the second in charge, in charge of all the food. And yet there was a famine in Israel. And here comes his brothers where, he, where Joseph could provide for them. So what do you do in a drastic situation where you feel like you're sieged by the enemy and you hear a promise, a prophetic word, or you get a dream. How do you wait for the fulfillment of the promise that you read in God's word? First, you've got to believe the word you got to keep believing the word. Elijah said, hear the word of the Lord. How we need to hear the word of the Lord. How we need to read the word of the Lord. How we need to believe the word of the Lord. How we need to read his promises and know that they are true. About this time tomorrow. Now, how ridiculous was this? The officer whose arm the king was leaning on said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the, the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? It's a rhetorical question. 
Of course it can't happen. We are in such dire need. We are in such a desperate situation that even if the floodgates have... Isn't it amazing how we'll look at a circumstance, we'll listen to the doctor, we'll listen to the banker, we'll listen to the lawyer, we'll listen to the media, and whatever they say, well, so be it. Whatever happened to believing for a miracle? You got to believe. Is he out of the business of doing miracles? We read about a God who can do the impossible, but do we believe the word for our situation? Or are we too tuned in to what everybody else is saying? How do I know you got to believe? Elisha says to this, hey, listen, you're going to see it with your own eyes, buddy. Come here, pal. <laughs> you don't think this could happen? You're going to see it with your own eyes. But because of your doubt... Because of your unbelief, because of your critical attitude, you're not going to eat any of it. How many know you got to believe? Secondly, while you're waiting for the promise to be fulfilled, you got to do something. Now, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance to the city gate of Samaria. And they said to each other, why stay here until we die? There's famine. Hey, if you don't have, you're not giving to others. If we say we'll go into the city, famine is there and we'll die. If we stay here, we'll die. Hey, ding, 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 ding. You know what, guys? Let's, let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. Let's, let's just surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. But we just can't sit here. We, we got to do something. And Scripture says, at dusk. Don't, don't, don't miss the importance of this. At dusk. They didn't wait for daylight. They didn't wait for the next day. They didn't delay. But they went. Even though it was dusk. They went. Man, sometimes we miss out on the blessing of God because we sit around waiting. We delay. Over these past few weeks, what have we learned? There's no turning back. Burn the plows. Sacrifice the oxen. 
Gather the jars, dig some ditches, reach out and pick up the axe head, pick up your mat and walk. We, we didn't even talk about Naaman. Go dip seven times. Go show yourself to the priest. How many know that when we wait for the fulfillment of the word of God, there's something that we can do? They went. They didn't delay at dusk. They went. They reached the edge of the camp. And not a soldier. Not a man was there. The camp was empty. Deserted. For the Lord. Who fights the battles for us? Who goes before us? The Lord had caused the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptian kings to attack us. And there was panic among the camp at the hearing of this noise. They didn't even saddle up their horses. They just fled and left everything behind. And these four men who acted and went, they had a party. Everything was theirs. They went into a tent. And, and scripture says they took silver and gold and, and they started to eat and drink and, and, and they took clothing and, and they started to hide it. They hid it and, and then they went into another tent, took some more silver and some more gold. They, they took in the plunders and, and, and they starting to, to they, they are in the time of their life. These four. And why do I admire these four so much? Wednesday night in our Bible study, we're just going around talking about different Bible characters. And, and one of my favorite Bible characters, believe it or not, is the widow who gave her two mites. I love the story of the widow who gave her two mites because she gave it all. But a close second are these four men with leprosy. Why? Because they said this. They said to each other, what we're doing is not right. What we're doing is not good. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. If there was ever a verse for the cause of missions... This is a day of good news. Aren't you glad for the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for your life? But you can't keep it to yourself. Therefore, let's support our missionaries that they can go tell others the good news because this is a good day. So they go back to Samaria and they tell the gatekeeper, The Arameans have fled. They've left everything. Let's go take of the spoil. Let's go take of the plunder. And the news gets to the king. 
King Joram. The king got up in the night and, and said to his officers, I will tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know we're starving, so they left the camp to hide in the countryside, thinking they will surely come out, and then we will take them alive and get them into the city. But didn't Elijah, the prophet, the man of God, say, by this time tomorrow, the famine will cease? Why is it that we're always rationalizing, scrutinizing, criticizing? Why is it that we're always analyzing that what this says can't happen? But one of his officers said, King, come on now. At least let's go check it out. Let's, let's take a couple of our soldiers and the, the five horses we have left. Let's, let's ride down to the camp and, and let's, let's check it out for ourselves. And they check it out. And you'll read in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 16, Then the people went out and the plunder of the camp of Arameans. So, a selah, seven quarts of flour sold for a shekel, and 14 quarts of barley sold for a shekel, just as the Lord had said. Just as he said. It's funny on Fridays when I, I do my keynote presentation, Hope checks it out, and after she got done checking, she said, But you didn't say anything more about that servant, the king's messenger. Scripture says he saw. He saw the word come true. But what was the prediction? He wouldn't partake in it. You know why he didn't partake in it? Because he was trampled on upon the gate and died. Believe the word. Do something. And when it comes to pass, accept his blessings by faith. And don't try to analyze, criticize, critique. Listen, you... You know me pretty well. And I don't get real far out at times. But Tuesday, during my devotional, getting ready for our staff meeting, we've been reading uh, the book by Murray 
humility. And we're on the 12th chapter where it's humility and happiness. And it talked about how the trials of life are necessary in order to humble us. And humility brings happiness. Interesting chapter on the trials of, of life. And as I was finishing it during my devotional time, I, I thought of Job. And Job, despite all his difficulties, at the end, was humbled. And I started reading the last couple chapters of Job, where Job just, man, he just kneels before the Lord, puts his hand over his mouth when, when God just, you know, says, where were you when I created the foundations of the earth? And, and Job is just humbled. Then you get to the last chapter where God replaces double of what Job lost, except for his family. And it got to the point where I thought it was strange that he didn't list his new son's names, but he listed the name of his three daughters. I just found that strange. Why didn't he list his son's names, why are his daughter's names now listed? And names have significance. And this is what I believe the Lord is saying to some of you today through Job's three daughters' names. The first daughter's name is Jemima, Jemima which means dove. The second daughter's name is Keziah, which is cinnamon or cassia, a fragrance, a spice, an incense. The last daughter is K-E-R-E-N, Karen Hapak, which means a horn of adornment, a horn of endorment, meaning this, an outward beauty because of inward character. And then I put the three names together and significance of their meanings. Come on, some of you are seeing it. That out of Job's brokenness, God gave him peace, God gave him beauty, and God gave him a fragrant life. Hear the word of the Lord that through our hardships and through our brokenness, God will give you peace, beauty, and a fragrant life. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you that you still speak to your children today. And Father, we receive this word. God, we act upon this word. And God, we just receive your blessings by faith. Lord, that the 
enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. You use to break us, to mold us, to shape us. And then out of our brokenness, you'll restore. And you'll give us peace, beauty, and a life that is fragrant for all. Lord, thank you for this, the life of Elisha and over these past six weeks, just looking into his unbelievable, crazy, silly, ridiculous faith. And through this, Lord, may you strengthen our faith to know that all things are possible with you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.